You're listening to Tuned with Alastair Atkin from the Atkin Guitars Workshop. I'm Alastair Atkin, and in this podcast, I'm going to chat to a few of the music industry people I've been lucky enough to meet over the last 25 years of being a guitar maker. Amongst them are musicians, songwriters, composers, and fellow guitar makers. Some of them you'll have heard of, and some of them you might not. This week, I'm talking to Chris Difford from Squeeze. Chris and his songwriting partner, Glenn Tilbrook, are legends of the British music scene. First coming to light in the 1970s, Chris went on to write and record a number of his own albums with songwriters such as Francis Dunnery from It Bites and friend of the show, Boo Hewardine from The Bible. I caught up with Chris, who's been running songwriting workshops from his beautiful cabin down in Lewis. And we were lucky to be there for Chris's delivery of 200 sheep. So sit back, relax, crack open an iron brew and enjoy the show. She said she saw the problem and wanted so to help. I told her I was useless. I tightened up my belt. She lent me. So, Chris, lovely to see you in your fantastic shed there. It is a fantastic shed, and um, this is where I've been since last March. I've seen some sheds over the last few weeks after doing this podcast, and I can honestly say you've got the best one. <laughs> Shed envy? Well, yeah, I think so. I, I get the feeling you're incredibly busy, even though we're all locked up. Yeah, I've been running songwriting workshops since May for help musicians mainly, but also some independent weeks, and uh, that's been going extraordinarily well. Um, I've met some incredibly talented people up and down the country and it's been keeping the fire burning really as far as touring is concerned or being in a band that's been mothballed in some ways so for the time being I'm here in the shed trying to remain sane for the rest of the year I guess the stuff that I mean you've always been really involved in songwriting groups and have run numerous um, staycations where people go and meet up in a, in a nice environment and write for a week. Is, is this form of, of songwriting going well down Zoom? Yes, it is. Um, it is extra- extraordinarily well. Um, there doesn't seem to be any blocks. Everybody seems to be get, getting on. Uh, people are just excited to be doing something different, I believe. And so am I. So it, th- there's a lot to be said for sitting still normally of course at this time of the year I'd be getting ready to go on tour Mm -hmm. and um, rehearsing or recording or whatever that's that kind of time of year but now it's all about re-learning your skills and and offering them to other people before when I've seen you work in these groups you don't necessarily get involved with the writing, do you? You sort of help and encourage people along yes. um, and perhaps pair people up. Yes. Is, is that the sort of thing that's going on? Yes, it's about encouragement um, and about holding hands. It's not about me jumping in and, and saying, hey, look, I'm going to write these songs with you. It's not about that. I, I can't teach people to write songs. It's really... They wouldn't be on the screen unless they could do it. So, mm-hmm. so I'm just there to mentor in some ways and what's thrilling about it is the songs that come out of it I mean I got two this 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 morning that were just extraordinary wow 
And the people who are coming on, are they are they professional or you know sort of hobbyists or group of, a bunch of everything? A bunch of everything, uh, Alistair. So we have people that are novices at this, and then there's some people in the theatre who are, who are out of work. Uh, generally, I always have one or two folk musicians on online, which is lovely. It's a lovely mix. And then there are people that are very good at programming and sort of right out of the box rather than on a guitar but it, it i can cope with it all it's uh, it's really just about holding each other and having the commitment to be on the screen i mean it's brilliant that that's going on considering so little else is going on um a song's being finished and and sort of uh, are people recording the whole thing oh yeah i mean i have at least 20 plus songs Every week, somebody sends me one or two that they've finished with somebody else. Right. And the recording's being done as well, is it? Like, they're releasing? Recording as well. Yeah. Yeah, remotely, of course. Um, and on top of that, I have been on my Zoom shows, which are every other week on a Saturday. I've been profiling these the good writers and, and having them on screen with me, presenting their songs to the punters, the public that come along. Yeah. And so, you know, they have an audience of over 100 people to play their new songs to, and they get feedback from people all over the country. And I think that's a nice thing. It builds a community. It's what I call the social club. Mm -hmm. So there's nothing quite like actually bearing yourself in front of everyone to, to get a feel for what things are really, how things are going. Um, mm. So if I was to ask you when you first realized you could write or or what that experience was like for you how you emerged as as a, as a writer and um, was was it how how old were you um it's a good question I think I was sort of young teenager who discovered that lyric writing was something that I wanted to pursue rather than plumbing <laughs> And um, I just thought, well, I'll have a go at this. And I had a go at it and enjoyed it. I really did it out of humour in the beginning. But um, it quickly became um, something that I became dedicated to. Having listened to people that I really enjoyed lyrically, it gave me inspiration. And music back then, you know, you were having a record collection was so important and listening to music was so important. So, um, yeah, it was, it was the beginning of what, the golden era, really. And, and the people who were inspiring you, if you were to sort of name names? Well, it was, you know, King Crimson, mm -hmm. uh, David Bowie, Donovan, people that had lyrics that were interesting and were, that caught my ear. Um, obviously, I like the Beatles and the Stones but lyrically they didn't really capture me as much as people like David Bowie um, so I was drawn I was drawn to the quill by listening to people like that yeah and and what form that would would these sort of uh, writings take were they were they sort of finished songs or were they in verses or just sort of free ramblings uh, they were ha they were handwritten lyrics which I kept in files. Um, and I've, I've got them all here in my office. Um, it's really interesting to sort of read them because they're very naive mostly, but they're also the work of a young person who wanted to be in a band, and that was 
that's really um, beautiful to, to read. You guys had success pretty early on. You were young guys when you were signed. And, and it's so often the case that when people are young and hungry, they write so much and, and get it, you know, when it's, when it's working, it can be the best sort of writing in your life some for a lot of people can't it your your combination with glenn would you ever write on the guitar or was it like you it was it always you do the music and i'll do the words or could you ever sort of exchange parts of those no glenn Glenn wrote the music i wrote the words we never discussed it and it was just something that we did in a subconscious Mm -hmm. state i guess um, and it paved our, the road for our career. And it's only really only recently when we've started to discuss lyrics, music. And I believe that's because we've had a time apart um, to explore ourselves and to expand our own uh, expressions. Yeah the amount of squeeze fans out there who who might be listening to this are, are very aware of of that side of your work but i mean you also write your own albums and to my mind mm. that there, there's some absolutely sublime stuff in there and you you seem to be able to choose writing partners or, or get the right writing partners and it's a very different sort of uh, process or, or sounds different to the squeeze sound even though you can hear you in there there's something really very personal about the way you write on your own records, I, I believe. Do you think there is a difference in, in how you write for yourself or Squeeze? Uh, there is, actually, yeah. I think when I'm writing for myself, there is slightly more freedom because I'm expressing what I want to say without boundaries, in a way, because when you're in a band, you have boundaries that you, you, you kind of keep. Um, but when I'm writing with somebody like Boo Hewardine, for instance, I can give him a lyric and within 24 hours he's written and demoed the song and it sounds always amazing to me <laughs> that you can do that. He's a very gifted person. Not everybody's the same like that. I mean, writing with different people inspires different attitudes. I'm always sort of, I find myself listening to your first solo album quite regularly as well. And having been a fan of, of Francis Dunnery when he mm. was with It Bites, I found that a very unlikely pairing, really. Uh, I, I'd be interested to hear how that came about. Uh, well, Francis and I met at one of my songwriting camps. We hit it off very quickly. And the first song that we wrote together was... Uh, one of the best songs I think I've ever written in my life. Right. It was just, uh, he nailed it completely, completely. Which song was that? It was called Electric Trains. Right, yeah. Um, and then what happened was he came to my house in the country and it, it demanded that I made a solo album and I really wasn't in the mood for it. I thought, <laughs> no, I, I don't want to be a singer. I don't want to be in the band particularly. Um, and I have that that restriction, you know, I wanted freedom at that point. He convinced me, so we went in the studio and we co-wrote some of the stuff, but he also handpicked some stuff that I'd already written with other people. Um, and that's how the album came about. And I've, I've been listening to it recently, and I, it's, a, it's a very difficult album to top. 
some of the emotional side of it is very, very um, spot on. It's exactly what I gather from it. And I can, you know, you tell your own story so well, and I can tell that you're quite a sentimental person, and and also the, you you don't seem to ebb away from telling the truth. Songwriting at its best is usually telling the truth. Perhaps I don't know if you'd agree. Do you, do you find it yeah. easy to open yourself up to everybody? Uh, I do find it quite easy because it's like therapy itself induced therapy um it's a form of expression and i don't mind telling the truth in a lyric it's very important for the listener to hear something that they can uh, feel attached to um and i guess on my solo albums there's been a lot of that so, some maybe too much actually on there was on on one album there was too much honesty and i, I, I had to bear mm-hmm. bear the cost of that um but you know with an album like fancy pants which was basically a fictitious story a musical idea that boo and i worked on for several months that was much more fun i i was listening to it uh, the other day and i i love the f- the opening song round the house to yeah. uh, which which um for anybody who who wants to listen to that it's uh, it sort of tells the story of this guy who's now performing in houses at sort of open house evenings rather than playing at you know the old big venues I mean, largely that is the story of most musicians now, isn't it? That there is a side of your career where you will play small, intimate places, and yet you yourself were were touring America with Hall and Oates at the beginning of this pandemic. Um, you seem very comfortable just playing anywhere, really. To, to me, would that be the case? Um, yeah, I think so. Um, I've played in the living room to like fourteen people and found it very entertaining. I've also played in front of 20,000 people at Madison Square Garden, and that's very entertaining. So it, it's it's a different form of um, performance, different grade of um, of oneself, I suppose. But they're both valid. You know, Madison Square Garden, of course it's valid. It's an incredible show. Um, and it's just as valid if 14 people have paid 20 quid to see you sing in their living room. Have you got a feeling of which one you get more nervous with? <laughs> I don't get nervous at all anymore, interestingly. I find it all very um, relaxing to be on stage. And, of course, with the way things are at the moment, I, I wonder whether we will actually go back on the road for a very long time. So I'm just getting used to sitting still and, and enjoying the memory <laughs> of those 14 people in someone's living room. Yeah, everyone was out on the road last February or you know was about to tour last year are you getting a feeling that anything's going to happen this year at this point I don't know my my optimism sort of is all over the place Uh, I'd like to think so but I don't know whether people will feel safe in a venue because without everybody being vaccinated and given some kind of passport to go to a gig you just can't tell if you're going to pick it up so are you going to risk your life for a gig i don't know if i would i think i'd have to take a very serious view of it um so 
I don't, I would be surprised if people's confidence and whether they had any money anyway left yeah. after what's going on yeah. to actually go to a gig. Um, but, you know, when that time comes, I'm ready. Yeah, yeah. Most people that I know are cancelling their tours until next year, 22. So Really? I guess it's a wise thing to do in some respects, isn't it? And uh, mm. hope for the best. I was um, also listening a lot to your sort of the early squeeze albums um in the last few weeks and it's so eclectic the, the subject matter to to me it sounds like you were just writing songs day by day this stuff was flowing out of you both and and it seemed to be no end of it did it feel like that at the time yeah it was like that i don't i don't ever remember it being a problem at all it was just you kind of got up in the morning and you wrote two or three songs and went to the pub in the evening and that was that was that was life <laughs> yeah so you know one I, I don't ever look back and take that for granted because that isn't how it is today but certainly was when i was a teenager yeah and and could you tell you, you know the stuff that became the big songs did you have an inkling those would be the ones or or was it just like i keep sort of coming up with this stuff some's going to work some isn't what was your general yeah, I th- feeling i think you, i think i think you have to be uh uh open-minded about stuff i mean i didn't know whether up the junction would be a hit but it was i didn't know about label would love thought the story was a little bit too consuming for people but they loved it um call for cats seemed a bit more obvious but um you know Hourglass, I certainly didn't think it was going to be the sort of American hit that it was going to be, but that's because I was in the middle of it and it was a different time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, some of those hits now are just sort of, they're in the part of British society, aren't they? And and you, when you hear them time and time again, what's it like to actually be on the end of that? Is it, 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 it sort of, I presume you never get sick of it. Well, I don't ever hear my songs um on the radio <laughs> and i don't i don't ever play them particularly but um it's something that interests me because it's something that i should be listening to because it's my history and it's what's brought me to this garden shed um and now i have the time to listen and learn and therefore i believe in the coming weeks and months, I probably will listen to all of the records that I've made or been part of and to try and figure out what's next. Mm-hmm. Um, because you can only learn by your mistakes and by looking back at what you've done. So, um, yeah, that's, that's probably on the cards. That'd be an interesting listen. I mean, what do you imagine you're going to like the most when you think of that? Or are there places you just go, oh, I can't go there? Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm 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 constantly grateful for the work that everybody in the band gave to the songs. You know, Gilson was the most inventive drummer we've ever had. Uh, Glenn's production, Glenn's keen ear for arrangements. At the time, I wasn't really aware of any of that. But you know, in reflection on reflection, I can say wow you know i wish i'd been a bit more tuned in and given a bit more of myself but i gave what i had Mm -hmm. and that seemed to be the right chemistry because you can't all 
you can't all be centre forwards. Someone has to play in goal. It looks to, to, from the outside very much like a, a two-man band, doesn't it? People talk about Squeeze as, as, as you and Glenn, but um, the, the rest of the band would they would they would they come up with ideas for a way a song should go, or was it sort of mainly coming from, from um, Glenn there? Well, it's case by case, really. Some songs people chipped in, some didn't. But mostly, Glenn would come to the table with pretty much everything sketched out as to the way he'd like it to be or <clears throat> the way the song needed to sound. So I know that's very true of Pete Townsend as well. He would demo songs to the extent that they would be almost better than the original Who recordings. Uh, so people would listen to what he did and they would then um, fit in with whatever Pete would give. And it's kind of, a, on some records, that's how it was with Glenn, really. It was kind of the right thing to do because, as I said, he had a keen ear for arrangements and keen ear for production. Um, so, you know, follow the leader. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it works, didn't it? Um, you, you released, you last released an album... Was it in 2017, a Squeeze album? Yeah. And yeah. I mean, are you working on new material for something else, or do you sort of? Uh... Uh, I don't think there's any requirement for a new record. Um, there's certainly no um, flame burning on <clears throat> on the oven for us to cook up another record. Mm -hmm. Maybe in the future, who knows? I I, I think. At the moment, it's all about trying to maintain a, a steady view of life during a pandemic that we've never had to deal with, obviously, before. So the Russian roulette of going away from your house and doing gigs and stuff like that is not on. It's not really something that we can mm -hmm. delve into. So therefore, we can't make an album. I can't be in a studio with five other people not knowing whether I'm going to be yeah. open to a virus. Yeah, absolutely. No, I see. Going back to the sort of beginning when you started touring as a band, did you like that experience? Uh, or, or was it, you know, where was it for you, the studio or on the road? It must have been exciting to, to start with, I guess. Um, well, it, it's always been exciting from various angles. Um, so yeah, it's just been part of part of life, part of what I do, it's part of what I've wanted to do when I was at school, and part of what I'm not doing now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I get that. So it, it seemed like you had a very arduous sort of work schedule for the first twenty years of of Squeeze, always out on the road and and all over the world. Keeping that fresh live sound when it's showtime is that something that y you can sort of stand up and do ev every night, or does it get hard as well? I think as you get older, the only thing that becomes hard is a lack of sleep between shows. But um, and trying to maintain some sense of stability in your mind, but um, because it can be repetitive doing a two-hour show for three months on end. But with a great band and. and and a, and a fair wind you you can't fail and it is the, the most glorious job in the world so it's something that um i don't take lightly it's something that i respect because over the years i've learned how to respect what we do and keeping your sort of head together through these long tours 
and being away from the family that's that's got to be hard as well I'd imagine and the time honored road of of you know the the the, the rock and roll lifestyle which uh, as I've read in your book that had to change for you really didn't it um it yeah. you you reached a point where you wanted to stop that um that way of life mm. um that must have been a very big moment to actually get to that point yeah it was and it was the best thing that's ever happened uh, in many respects it's brought me a lot of um a lot of reasonable thinking for a change uh, but it's a daily reprieve um so you have to keep working at it and it's it's sometimes it's harder than others but it's it's definitely a path worth forging um i couldn't go back there and I enjoyed it all. I enjoyed all the drugs and all the alcohol. I absolutely loved it. It was amazing, um, in a dark way. But you know, I, I I wouldn't impress upon any other person to 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 go down that route. It's really um, it can be destructive and it can cause depression, which it did for me. Um, and that's a difficult and expensive. Um, um, thing to maintain. It's a bit like being a, an overeater and having to eat. You've got to go back out into this world where people are mm. playing that game um, yeah. and to walk away from it every every night. Uh, it's well, pretty impressive. Yeah. Well, you know, the you just you just get to hang out with the people that are not going to take you into dangerous places, and that was very easy because people were accommodating in the band and. Um, there was every town I went to there was like-minded people that I could hang out with so it wasn't a proper problem I never saw mm. it as a threat uh, going back out on the, on tour at all I found it rewarding mm -hmm. it was a new experience and now I've I've noticed that you've helped a lot of other artists and and people in the music business get into a better place with addiction and and such you've always been interested to help other people yeah i am and um i do one-to-one -one sessions on zoom with people that are um of like mind that want to discuss stuff um yeah i'm very open to conversations about moving forward and how best to do that because you know, if you you've got to be able to share your experience with other people. That's how it works. You've got to share what you've done, so that hopefully other people can benefit from your knowledge, or they can just ignore you. It doesn't really matter. Um, just as long as you're out there doing it. So yeah, I, it's something that I think is important to give back what you've been given. Yeah, yeah. You're somebody that I've seen play lots of different instruments over the years and, and seem to have had a really good guitar collection. Um, I noticed that you were in um, Danny Farrington's book, um, the, the American Maker. How did that come about? How did you meet Danny? Uh, Danny had made guitars for um, Elvis Costello and that's where I met him. Elvis introduced me to him in Los Angeles when I was there. And and he, he said to me, Chris, can I make you a guitar? And I said, yes. And he said, what do you want it to look like? I said, I want it to look like a violin. Right. And the next thing I know, this violin turned up, but it was a guitar. And um, I played it for quite a few years on tour, and then it went in the cupboard and, and didn't see the light of day for 
10 or 15 years and and then I brought it back out and thought well if with the few tweaks and with those few tweaks I haven't put it down since it's constantly on stage with me it beats everything it sounds amazing uh, is it is it a longer scale length or is it a standard guitar um, scale? It's, it's, it's a normal it's a normal scale, yes. It it's is, got, yeah. It's got a lovely thin neck, like a not like a Telecaster, but quite quite a narrow neck, so it's very easy to play. It doesn't weigh anything, which is lovely. Um, whereas mm-hmm. a Telecaster can really give you backache after a few weeks on tour. At least the original ones can. So yeah, I mean it's a beauty. And I have made lots of mistakes over the years buying electric guitars and then selling them. I wish I hadn't. Like I had a collection of Paisley Telecasters and um, unfortunately I I sold them and that's one of the biggest regrets in my guitar wardrobe, selling them. Oh yeah, I can imagine. I mean I've seen those those Paisley guitars and they are so cool aren't they? are you? Where did you buy your guitars from? Would you would you buy them in the states or, or over here or wherever? I guess uh, the Telecasters. I bought one from Kings Road Guitars, I think, and one from one from a friend. Um, yeah, one from a mate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How into the sort of electric guitar sound are you? Are you someone who? has a guitar electric guitar and amp at home and plugs it in or does it only really come out when you're about to go on tour uh i only really plug in when i go on the road but if i'm here i use this thing right um, yeah like a little valve thing that i use <coughs> um i don't know the electric guitars normally stay in the loft until we go back out on the road and then they come out and then i have a nice old twang in the rehearsal room <laughs> so um, in here I just play that beautiful Atkins acoustic which is behind me um, there's only really room for a couple of guitars in in, in this room so mm-hmm. I used to have my Olsen uh, that's another guitar I wish I hadn't sold but I'd sold a couple of those have you got a selection of amplifiers uh, that you that you use how, how into amplifiers are you when you're playing um, well, I started off with the Vox AC30, then I went to the Hiwatts, and then um, then I stuck with the Fender uh, amps, the, the Twins, uh, because those seem to work really well with that particular pickup in a Telecaster. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where, I, and I have had the same guitar amplifier now for 20 years. Um, uh, I found it in Minneapolis. It's a baby twin. And it's not. It's not like the full meat. It's like a little bit small, small, small. One two five, I think it is. Mm-hmm. But it, it's you can't find them anywhere else. I wanted to buy a, a backup, but I can't find one. Oh really? Ah, maybe someone will will chime in on this on this podcast and find yeah. you one. Um, okay, and, and are you someone who's got lots of? pedals on the floor or I, I kind of get the feeling you're not the, the, the most guitar-y kind of guitarist out there in it as much as you're not sort of fawning over lots of bits and bobs well I'm not however on the last squeeze tour in 2019 I did get some foot pedals to sort of spice up my <laughs> my night and uh, I loved it I really enjoyed the 
tap dancing on on the pedal board um it was terrific fun and it made things sound great so yeah i mean i do enjoy when i'm yeah it, it makes for a better sound within the songs of squeeze yeah definitely and does Glenn get involved with sort of saying, Chris, try one of these, or these are quite good? Is he a bit more gear sort of? Oh a yeah, gearhead? he's he's a, he's a gearhead. Yeah, he's got he's got all the original amps that he ever has owned, all the right. original foot pedals he's ever owned. He's never got rid of a thing. He's got all the original guitars, banjos. <laughs> he's never sold anything. Right, but is someone actually sort of um, curating, you know, the actual sound? before you go out live and play or or is it sort of just as the band rolls it works um well we try and complement the songs we're playing by making them sound like the originals so that's mm-hmm. really where the the repertoire comes from um and we spend quite a bit of time trying to make that work you you spent a lot of time living in america and also playing in america um uh, could could you live there again? Do you think? Um, good lord, yeah, I could live in Austin, Texas, any day of the week, but um, that's not going to happen. Um, not just because of the pandemic, but because you know I'm married with stepchildren and they live here, so I couldn't uproot them and go there mm-hmm. um, as much as I'd love to. <laughs> <laughs> but you used to live in New York at one point, uh, I believe. Yeah, yeah, I did for a while, and I really enjoyed it. Um, my first marriage, I lived with Cindy in New York, and she's an American girl, and uh, I really embraced it, loved it. I could live in New York if I could afford it. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and that that when when was that? The late seventies. You yes. were out there, or yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Were you out a lot listening to music in in New York at that point, or were you? Uh, stay at home yeah, we, kind of guy um, no we used to go out every night to CBGB's or the Mud Club watch Sam and Dave um, Talking Heads the Ramones you know whatever was on offer we, we, we would go and watch um, so it was a very vibrant time to be honest it was a exciting but so was London you know going to the Marquee and seeing the Jam and XTC and people like that I mean music was just you couldn't get enough of it in those days yeah it was everywhere and sort of a lot a lot of music felt very original didn't it and uh, Mm. people were coming up with new sounds all the time well it was just just a community of of mates really hold on hold on a second though yeah hold on oh my god Sorry, um, you wouldn't believe this, but there are about 200 sheep walking up our street. <laughs> I wondered what the noise was. <laughs> so are you living down in near Brighton now? Near Lewis, yeah. You seem to like it down that way. I do, uh, I do, especially yeah. when there's 200 sheep going. <laughs> Hold on a minute, hold on a minute, I've just got to explain something. Okay, that's all right. That was a weird thing to see. So it's all going off. That's all right. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, 
Um, you, I saw you on the Hootenanny uh, this year. Uh, where, when was that recorded? It was recorded just before Christmas in Maidstone. And uh, was that a, a real sort of uh, socially distanced event? There seemed to be nobody else much in the studio. No, yet two people have COVID from being there. Really? Yeah. Oh. Um, so it was scary. I, I wasn't comfortable, to be honest, but I did it. And uh, I kept my distance and wore a mask and that was fine. Um, mm-hmm. But two people came down with it. They've both survived, so that's brilliant news. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that sort of... I was speaking to Boo Hewardine a couple of days ago and they did something similar for the... Uh, up up in Glasgow, yes. uh, for the Celtic Connections. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, I think it seems to be that people are really enjoying playing together again. Uh, the atmosphere in the studio was it was it um, was it a fun one or was it sort of quite a, a tense situation being in in with so many people? Um, I think it was business as usual. The band were back together. Sadly, a lot of them are penniless at the moment because they don't have any work. So it was good for everybody to be in the room, um, but the realistic. You know, these are musicians that have been on tour with Jules for 20, 30 years, and now they're not doing that, so they don't have any income, and that's really, really tough. Um, so they're having to do other things. I know one of the trumpet players is now delivering bread, for instance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, you said you were working with some music charities. Which which charities are those? I work with Help Musicians. Um, I've been made an ambassador, and I'm very happy to to help them in any way that I can by um, running workshops and reaching out to people that are less well off than myself, and and, and just trying to be be a mate really for strangers. And are they managing to get? the money to the actual musicians they are they, they yeah. are that's that's great and how- uh, if you're a musician in, in trouble you can go to their website and have an interview and you, you may be worthy of a of a uh, handout or whatever mm-hmm. you know it's it's all there and, and anyone can phone up presumably yeah. and donate some money to these musicians uh, to, yes. to this to this charity absolutely yeah 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 i'm sure there's a lot of people who who would actually like to do that yeah um, we'll put a link on the bottom of this that would be website. amazing yeah 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 um okay chris well look thanks ever so much for thank for you agreeing to do this um it's it's been fun to talk to you and i hope to see you soon uh, at some point down the line you too yeah and look after yourself and uh, keep up the good work so that was Chris Difford from Squeeze giving us an insight into his world at the moment during lockdown if you enjoyed the show please go online and rate it wherever you listen to your podcasts I believe a five star review really helps get our name out you've been listening to Tuned with Alistair Atkins